Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing good. You guys good? It's a little warm in here. The AC is going to meet you while you're, while you're listening. It's going to be good. Um, before we get started, I want to introduce uh, a couple of my best friends. Um, I want to introduce Pastor John. He's actually the senior pastor of Morning Star Church. And uh, he's actually been my pastor since 1996. Oh, man. That's been a long time. It's been a good ride, man. And then another one of my friends, Rich Lorenzo, who uh, Michaela already introduced before. Um, he's the president of Called to Greatness and uh, lives in Lawrence. And uh, so if you haven't gotten a chance to meet these guys, I would urge you to take the liberty to meet them this morning. And uh, yeah, so guys, it's great to have you. Um, all right, well, we're going to dive into Matthew. And uh, we're. We're at the second to last week we've been in this series for the last month. We've been just kind of taking section by section. Uh, Matthew wrote his gospel to the audience of Israel. And uh, he's, he's almost rewriting the Torah, the story, uh, the covenant of God that he made with Israel. Uh, he, through uh, Jesus, is sharing his life in such a way that it is rewriting the story of Israel and fulfilling the story of of Israel. And so today we're going to dive into chapters 21 through 25. So if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, just go ahead and turn to Matthew 21. Now, this section that we're going to be going through, uh, I've, uh, this is interesting. It's, it's, other, it's different than the other weeks that we've been doing. We've had a lot of practical teaching, a lot of uh, simple steps that the Lord's been kind of teaching us through. But this section kind of specifically this morning is going to be a little bit heavier theologically. We're going to kind of dig in a little bit, a little light on the life application. Uh, but I really want you to get what Matthew is trying to communicate to us uh, in his gospel. And um, so I hopefully you guys will be able to strap in. But uh, we are going to watch two kingdoms clash in this section. Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of the religious leaders. All right? So the showdown begins in chapter 21. Now, you may have thought that the rivalry between Rocky and Ivan Drago was impactful. Or how about Inigo Montoya and the Six-Fingered Man? Or how about Kanye West and Jay-Z? Or how about Danny LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence with the crane kick? And Karate Kid. Or how about Luke Skywalker and, of course, Darth Vader? It doesn't even come close to the real-life, eternal significance of Jesus and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Jesus' head-to-head showdown with the religious leaders begins in chapter 21. All right? So Jesus, in chapter 21, he comes into Jerusalem for Passover, riding on a donkey, and the crowds are hailing him as the Messiah. They throw their cloaks down, they bring out palm branches and start waving. 
which actually happened 200 years before Jesus is entering into Jerusalem by a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And he came in, uh, the pagan rulers were kind of dominating Jerusalem. He comes in, routes the pagan horde, and takes back Jerusalem. And so there was a prophetic warning or prophetic utterance from the prophets of old that when the Messiah comes, he's going to ride into Jerusalem and take over. And so these people, seeing Jesus, the reputation of Jesus had surrounded in the, in the cities and the towns, and here comes Jesus riding on a donkey, which was another specific reference in the Old Testament. And so they're thinking, man, this, this guy might be it. This guy might be it. And so suddenly, everyone wants Jesus to ride into the city and become the sort of king that they want him to be. And Jesus immediately marches straight into the courtyard of the temple, and he creates this huge disruption that begins the, that, and, that disrupts and kind of halts the daily sacrifices in the temple. So, Matthew 21. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all the people who were buying and selling in the temple. He upturned the tables and the money of the money changers and the seats of the dove sellers. This is what the scripture says, he said to them. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it, made it a brigand's lair. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, to buy animals, you needed the right money in the temple, and so you would exchange uh, Caesar, Roman currency for temple currency, and that, that, the temple would make a little money on that exchange, uh, a little finder's fee on that. But it isn't necessarily the buying and selling and money changing that he's objecting to in and of itself. When he says, you've made it a brigand's lair, that word brigand does not mean thief. Brigands were revolutionaries, people who believed so strongly in God's coming kingdom of justice and triumph for, uh, for Israel that they were prepared to take the law into their own hands. The temple itself had come to stand for the violent longings of the brigands for a great revolution in which the kingdom of God would come by force. He not only overturns the tables in the temple, but the people who have been kept out. In, in, in Jewish culture at the time, if you were maimed or lame or had something wrong with you physically, you could not go within the walls of the temple. You had to worship outside. And it seems that it's those very people that Jesus came to bring the gospel to first, as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, uh, as Israel's uh, king, he heals them. He restores them and brings them back into right standing in their culture. So Jesus was asserting his royal authority over the temple, the place where God and Israel met together. And in Jesus' view, the temple was compromised by hypocrisy of Israel's leaders. And so here he's challenging their authority and very publicly. And naturally, <laughs> they get deeply offended. And this is what begins this long exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. So the, he, goes, he goes outside the temple with his disciples, and then he comes back, and on his way back the next day, he sees a fig tree. 
And he goes, they're hungry, and he's going to get fruit from it, but there is no fruit. And he commands the fig tree, because of its barrenness, he curses it, which is the exact same thing that Jesus is doing in the temple over the religious leaders, that God's judgment is coming to Israel. So Matthew 21, Jesus says this, I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus. If you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only be able to do this to a fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. They're right outside the temple that is on a mountain. And he says that if the fig tree, you can do the same thing, but if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and removed, it will happen. So he's He's drawing their attention. I need you to see with eyes of faith what I'm about to do. What God's master plan that has been culminating in Jesus' life is about to take place. So then he goes back into the temple, and the offended religious leaders confront him. They question his authority. They ask him some some trick questions, and Jesus uh, pushes back with some stories. And then he flat out says this. So let me tell you this. God's kingdom. Now mind you, this is publicly in front of everyone. He he speaks to the religious leaders. So let me tell you this. God's kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the goods. He's outright, no parable here, no secret meaning here. Jesus is coming. The showdown. Oh, man. An uppercut that will lead to a knockout. So now they're mad and they pepper Jesus with some of the most controversial issues of the day. They think that if they can trip him up somehow publicly, if they could trip him up with the most controversial issues of the day, that they can have a license to eliminate him. And so they ask him about taxes, very controversial. They ask him about resurrection, which there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees did. How you remember that is that no heaven, they're sad, you see. All right, that's a little, uh, that's a little Bible school humor. Not for everybody. Anyway. But then they ask him, lastly, they ask him, of all the 613 laws of the Old Testament, which one's the most important, Jesus? Rabbis all over had different orders and different things that they would elevate. And Jesus, all of his answers and his defense, his blocks, are perfect. And then in chapter 23, he first Offers this passionate, he offers this passionate critique of the Pharisees and the religious establishment. And he says in verse 23, if you could skip up there, I'm done. It's too slow. Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Again, he's in the temple. Come on, let's get it on. Have you ever been in public when there's been like a fight? You know what I mean? Where, where two people are kind of going at it. You ever been in a restaurant or whatever? Man, it's awkward watching that, isn't it? 
It's like it makes everybody in the room feel uncomfortable when two people are just kind of going, well, imagine that over the temple where people would travel from all over the world to come worship Yahweh, Israel's God, and the uncomfortableness that you would feel as Jesus, who you think might be, he may be the Messiah, and he's confronting the religious leaders, the people that you've looked to for years to give you instruction how to obey God. And he says, For you won't let others enter the kingdom of heaven, and you won't go in yourselves. He calls them blind guides. He goes on and on and on. He's like, woe to you. And he just, he's like, you hypocrites, you fools, you blind guides. He goes on and on, which you'll read this week, hopefully. And he calls the religious leaders out and declares a judgment upon them. And lastly, he says this in Matthew 23, 36. He says, I'm telling you the truth. All the accumulated judgment of the centuries will break upon the heads of this very generation. Wow. It's interesting, and we're going to come back to this a couple times, but this is a key clue as to how we are to read this entire section. I'm telling you the truth. All the accumulated judgment of the centuries will break upon the heads of this very generation. Wow. The KO's coming sooner than they think. This generation? That's happening soon. And now this leads us directly into chapter 24 that I actually want us to kind of dig in and kind of camp out because uh, throughout time, I believe that uh, it, can, it can get uh, decontextualized and kind of put into Western context, and we can kind of say this is what this means. But I really want us to see, not that there aren't double meanings to some of these things or maybe multiple fulfillments to some of these things, but I believe that it's important for us that if we're going to actually read the Scriptures, that we actually have to get in the context of what Matthew is trying to communicate. Okay? So, so that you're going to hear stuff that you've probably heard before, but probably in a different way. But I want us to just kind of see this in this grand context that Jesus is confronting the religious leaders and proclaiming judgment on Israel. All right, Matthew 24. Let's go. Verse 1. Jesus left the temple and went away. And as he did so, his disciples came and pointed out the temple buildings to him. Yes, he said, and you see all these things, these temple buildings? I'm telling you the truth. Not one stone will be left standing upon another. All of them will be thrown down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that you are going to appear as king and that the end of the age is upon us? The disciples are beginning to put two and two together. The destruction of the temple on one hand and the vindication of all that Jesus has said and done on the other. They somehow go together. If Jesus had been right all along, then the temple will have to go. But how and when? When will the world see that Jesus really is God's Messiah? 
Now, to illustrate this, imagine if you were a Roman citizen and believing that Caesar is its rightful lord and master of the world, uh, but you were, let's say, living uh, far away from Rome. And uh, you would long for the day when he would pay you a, a state visit. Not only would you see him for yourself, but equally important, all of your neighbors would realize that he really was the world's lord and master. Much of the Roman Empire was Greek-speaking, and the Greek word that the disciples used in asking this question, it's the same as the, this state visit, such as a, an appearing or presence. And the Greek word was parasoia. And it's a word that the, it's the word parasoia which the disciples use in verse 3. And they speak of three things, which is important in this long chapter that's now beginning, containing Jesus' answer to them. The destruction of the temple, Jesus' parasoia or appearance as king, and third, the end of the age. Jesus proclaims that the present age would come to its convulsive conclusion and a new age would be born. The birth pangs of the new age will start in the form of wars and revolutions and famines and earthquakes. Terrible times are going to come and those who follow him will be tested severely. Many will give it, up, uh, many will give it all up and it's just too demanding. But they shouldn't be deceived, Jesus says in this section. New, new would-be messiahs would appear, but the vindication of Jesus himself, the royal presence or appearing, won't be that sort of thing as if somebody as if Jesus is, will kind of appear in a, another revolutionary that'll again take up arms like the brigands that he just rebuked in order to take over Rome. They must hold on. Don't follow those guys. Hold on to my teaching. Hold on to this kingdom, heavenly way of life that God advances his kingdom not by violence, but by God's justice through his people, his life, and the Holy Spirit of what Jesus came to secure for us. Between the present moment and the time when all will be revealed and Jerusalem will be destroyed and the good news of the kingdom of God which Jesus came to bring would be true, proven that it has arrived. Matthew 24, verse 15. I'm kind of camping out on some common things that a lot of times kind of gets taken out of context. 24:15 says the time will come when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And Matthew inserts It's like if you have a red letter Bible, Matthew inserts his own words right in the middle of Jesus's discourse. He says, "Reader, pay attention." Which is like, okay, Matthew, he's never done it before in his gospel. But this is quite unique. He says, "Reader, pay attention." It says, "Then those thing, then those who are in Judea should take to their heels when you see this sacrilegious object standing in the holy place." then those who are in Judea should take to their heels and run to the mountains. And Daniel, he references Daniel and it describes in a series of stories and dreams how God's kingdom will triumph over the kingdoms of this world, 
again, this epic showdown. But all of this is related very specifically in the time between Jesus' public career and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Forty years later, one generation. In Jewish understanding, a generation was 40 years. And three days before Passover, I think you could maybe create a case that this might have been exactly 40 years from when Jesus enters the temple. But that's debatable. That's, you can push back on that all you want. But Rome seizes Jerusalem, utterly destroys it and destroys the temple. The historian Josephus wrote that over 1.1 million people died in this battle between Rome and Jerusalem. The thing that Jesus saw at this time, 40 years before, he saw the craving of human revolution, that it was going to come by violence. And so 1.1 million people died from famine. They starved off. They, they cut off the supply lines to Jerusalem, cut out the water, cut out the food. And so famine hunger, and battle, over 1.1. And Rome places their blasphemous standards with eagles on top. And if you actually really get in this section, your, your Bible might say vulture. Jesus has this little weird state phrase that says uh, about vultures. Vultures and eagles are the same word in Greek. And he says, and so they come in, they destroy the temple and they place their standards in the Holy of Holies. Jesus is seeing this 40 years before it actually happened, but he lays it out very specifically. When you see them coming, those standards run for the hills. So Matthew 24, we'll move on. It says, straight away, Jesus continued... After the suffering that those days will bring. Then he throws up this thing from Isaiah. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon won't give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will shake. Ooh, sounds... Wow. Is that literal? We'll get there. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send off his messengers with a great trumpet blast, and they will collect his chosen ones from the four winds. Sorry about that typo. From one end of heaven to the other. I'm telling you the truth. In verse 34, this generation won't be gone before all these things happen. The same thing he said before he launched into this thing he is reiterating it towards the end of chapter 24 these things are going to happen in your generation now jesus quotes isaiah and for those who read him in the first century the one thing it didn't mean was something to do with the actual sun or moon or stars in the sky. This language was well known. It was regular code for talking about what we would call huge social and political upheaval. 
Kingdoms rise and they fall like the sun and the moon. Isaiah is prophesying about this time where there is going to be tremendous upheaval over Jerusalem. But what will this coming itself actually be? What will Jesus' royal appearing consist of? Matthew takes us back in verse 30 to something Daniel prophesied about in Daniel 7.13. If you're taking notes, write that down. They will see, he says, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now in Daniel, this certainly refers not to a downward movement of this strange human figure, but actually an upward movement. See, again, we have to actually get into the context because a lot of times we can lift these things out and kind of proclaim it over something else. Not intending what Matthew was writing about or Jesus was actually proclaiming. The Son of Man comes, in Daniel 7, comes from the point of view of the heavenly world. That is, he comes from earth to heaven. In other words, his coming, in this sense, is not his return to earth after. He's in heaven for a bit. It's his resurrection and ascension. It's the destruction of the temple. God gave the nation of Israel a whole generation to respond. But when the temple finally falls, that will be the sign that he was speaking the truth. That this will be his real vindication. Not just his proclamation, not just his crucifixion and resurrection, but when all these things come to pass, Jesus says when you see that, it will vindicate Jesus' life and ministry and everyone on the earth will know that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the King of kings, the King of Israel, and the Lord of lords. If we're to understand the biblical writers, we have to learn to read their language their way. So watch for these events, Jesus is saying. And you'll know that the great event, the destruction of the temple and Jesus' complete vindication are just around the corner and it's going to happen in this generation. And that is an extra important reason why everything that has been said in this passage so far must be taken to refer as the destruction of Jerusalem and the events that surround it. Then lastly, he then shares three parables about wicked and wise servants, about wise and foolish girls, about three servants entrusted with riches, two that stewarded it well and one that didn't. All these things is Jesus' proclamation between God and Israel, ones who follow God and ones that deny the Messiah, wise and foolish. And I would submit that they all pertain to those who are wise and follow Jesus and fools that don't, mainly the religious leaders and the judgment that will fall on them. Now, I will also say, after I've presented that, that was my best case. There are many wise theologians much smarter than I that have a different take on that. So, um, I just wanted to kind of present that in trying my best to put that in context. Um, But many great wise people read that a little differently. But I just wanted to kind of uh, give the escape valve a little bit.
because especially if you've been kind of trained uh, in the word at all or if you've been kind of taught, uh, a lot of times this kind of angst is like, no, I think that there's something else. I think that there's something more. I think that that might be a little different. And that's okay. Because the, the sound of Jesus' words to Israel echoed forward to us today. The now vindicated king is still calling a people to himself. So my ending question is, have you heard that call over your life yet? That Jesus, he was God's sent son in order to come demonstrate the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom, and through his death and resurrection, pay the price that it was required, a blood sacrifice that was required, but it wasn't just an animal that the Jews were very familiar with in the temple that would just cover their sin. It would be God's own son that wouldn't just cover your sin, but that would transform you from the inside out. And the image that God's put inside of you, that treasure that lays down inside of you, begins to come alive for the first time. Without being under the rule and dominion of Jesus, we can kind of put a lot of stickers or put a lot of self-help or we can put a lot of effort and perfection to try to be better people, thinking that, as Michaela said, her, her friend thought that it's perfection that gets me closer to God. It's actually the recognition that we will never be perfect, that our lives are somewhat of a mess, that we've made uh, a mess of things and we've made a mess based upon our actions, behavior, thoughts, and intentions, that it's created a wall of separation between us and God. And Jesus came to restore that, that your life would be justified by faith. And so, again, the question, have you heard his call over your life yet? Follow me, Jesus would say. Follow Jesus. And when I was 19, still a knucklehead, grew up in church, was a nice religious kid most of the time, and then I had a separate life that all my close friends kind of knew about But when I was 19, I heard him speak, trust me and follow me and be who I've called you to be. Be who I've made you to be. And I believe for us here, if you've never heard that call over your life or God speak that or that you haven't taken that step of trust, God, I trust you with my life. I see the person of Jesus. Man, he's a wild man, but he's a righteous man. And he's the exact image that Paul wrote. He's the exact image of the eternal God. When we look at Jesus, we see his Father. That Father made you. He knew you before you were born in your mother's womb. And in our life, God at times just calls loudly, Follow me! Follow me! Maybe you have taken that step. Maybe that's like, yeah, man, I remember my time. I stepped over the line. But how's your life now? Is there any area of your life that you're like, man, I'm following them strong here, but I'm not really, I know I'm not 
I haven't, I haven't merged all the parts of my life to make Jesus the center of them all. Here's my encouragement. You can do that right now. Like it's just a decision in your heart. God, I hand this to you, whether it be your whole life or an issue or an addiction or a struggle that you're facing. God, I hand this to you. God, I trust you. God, I follow you that you are the vindicated Messiah, that you came and you are king. And one day you will come again and bring your kingdom in complete fullness and wholeness. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you for the richness of your word. That God, it seems like as we get in it, God, we just see different things. God, we see more things. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any area of our life or maybe even our life itself, God, that we we need to step across the line, God. We need to bring our lives to you to say, God, we need you. God, we try so, I've tried so hard with my own self-effort. God, my own attempts to be perfect, but God, I need your grace in my life. I need your power in my life. God, I need your authority in my life. And Father, right now I give, God, whatever it may be, let God speak it right now. What is that area? All right. Now hand it to him. Say, God, I trust this into your hands. I trust you because you are the king of the whole world. And I want to be in your family. And I want to grow in your family. And I want to thrive in your family that we could be salt and light to the world, that we would be, a, we would be blessed, now, not only for our own sake, but God, that we would leverage all the things that you give us, all the gifts, talents, everything, to see people, see Jesus. Not religion or law, but Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would take us as a community and Father, I pray that you would even take us as a family of churches, God, to a place that we've never known before. God, that we would begin to see the life of God operating powerfully through a community. Father, we're asking that of you. And Father, we give these areas of full trust. Lord, we love you. Help us follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you felt like there was maybe your whole life or maybe just an area where you felt, man, I handed that to Jesus this morning. Man, that's awesome. That is fantastic. Tell somebody about it. Don't be ashamed of it because Jesus has handled it. He's nailed it to the cross. It's in his hands. Just trust him with it. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.